Thank you for choosing Tox News, your only source to the secret of the ooze. I am your host, Podcasting Diogenes. No relations. Uh, today's date is March 31st, 2021, as of recording, and we begin with a pledge of allegiance. I pledge allegiance to liberty and justice for all. Thank you again for joining me, and we have three beautiful segments of the right-wing echo chamber that is right-wing media and politics. But to begin with most podcasts, as I usually do, I took Monday off as the news segments themselves were not quite matching the material that I wanted to reach. So we have today coming back, of course, beginning with the Militia Watch Weekly Update. And it begins with South Carolina senators aiming to make all Palmetto state residents militia members. Court documents indicate attempted alliance between Oath Keepers, Three Percenters, and Proud Boys, all of which were uh, present at the Capitol Hill riots January 6th. And then we have Virginia Sheriff's Office and County Militia hold joint gun raffle. So these are all good. These are all good. This is all good news. Uh, South Carolina senators, beginning there, uh, South Carolina state senators Tom Corbin and Rex Rice have put forward bills that attempt to legally make everyone a member of a militia in order to avoid federal gun restrictions. Yikes. Uh, Both state senators are from the upstate of South Carolina, which at one point was the heart of uh, Southeastern Tea Party activism after Obama's 2008 electoral victory. The bill S614 has a section that reads, and I quote, an unorganized militia member at his own expense shall have the right to possess and keep all arms that could be legally acquired or possessed by a South Carolina citizen as of December 31st, 2020. This includes, but is not limited to, shouldered rifles and shotguns, handguns, clips, magazines, all components, and all ammunition fitted for such weapons, unquote. The unorganized militia indicated here by Corbin is in reference to Title 25 of the state codes, which has a clause about providing an unorganized militia to supplement the South Carolina National Guard if the National Guard is not large enough in number. This is typically understood as for response to a foreign invasion. Um, That seems... A little, like, yes, it, um, I don't know how that, like, would necessarily protect people's gun rights without actually, uh, basically signing them up for National Guard duty. It is perhaps also worth noting here that the South Carolina Constitution, Article 1, Section 20, reads, quote, The military power of the state shall always be held in subordination to the civil authority and be governed by it, unquote. This section is directly in constitutional opposition to the notion of an organized, unorganized militia that exists as a private paramilitary organization. This is a very weird bill here. A 2013 version of a similar bill by Corbin, S-247, South Carolina Unorganized Militia, was never ratified. This new bill has the same text as the 2013 bill with updated dates. The two can be compared below, and they do have examples within this Militia Watch update. So if you're interested in checking them out, go to militia.watch, not .com, but .watch, and 
Yeah, they seem nearly identical. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Moving on, we have court documents revealing that there was alliance between two militia groups and the Proud Boys ahead of J6 storming. According to discussions submitted in new court documents, an alliance was attempted between two militia groups and the Proud Boys ahead of their storming of the U.S. Capitol building. These types of records, which indicate coordination and premeditation, are crucial to the state in their case against many of those involved. In these documents, Oathkeeper arrestee Kelly Meggs said over Facebook in December 2020 that he, quote, organized an alliance between Oathkeeper's Florida Three Percenters and Proud Boys to work together and shut this shit down, unquote. And if you go to last uh, Monday's episode, which I believe was uploaded last Tuesday, um, there were the last Militia Watch update was going over a bit of the messaging that Kelly Meggs had done over the Signal app. So this is just kind of a continuation on that and update on the update. Um, Megs was a general manager of a Honda dealership. Oh my goodness. So I get that everybody needs jobs, but somebody who um, claims to be like a super patriotic and, you know, all American so much. So, so to uh, join the Oath Keepers militia group to protect or what they perceive to protect American tradition and values. He works for Honda. He sells Honda cars. Like that's, those are Japanese cars that he's slinging. It's very interesting to me. Um, anyways, let's rebegin the, the, the paragraph here. I thought if somebody was like that ideologically pure, they would want to work for Ford or general motors or something like that. Jeep. Tesla, I guess. Um, anyways, Megs was a general manager of a Honda dealership, and in another message documented in the court filing said that, quote, Trump wants us to make it wild, because he he tweeted that. Um, that's what he's saying. He called us all to the Capitol and wants us to make it wild, unquote, ahead of the J6 storming, which is funny because Trump did tweet out that um, everybody who can make it to the J6 protests should do so. It's going to be wild. And uh, Kelly Meggs took that as in, we're the ones who are going to make it wild. So uh, this marks another indicated rioter once again pointing to Trump's tweets in his own planning for the event. And yet, in the impeachment trial, we held no accountability for Trump. Anyways, also this week, two accused Proud Boy leaders pled not guilty to charges associated with their involvement in the J6 storming. These men, Joe Biggs and Ethan Nordian... I think Joe Biggs is from the uh, Portland area. If I'm not mistaken, Joe Biggs has assaulted many people, including uh, the journalist Robert Evans breaking his finger. So if I'm not mistaken on who that is, I'm pretty sure Joe Biggs is a pretty predominant proud boy in the northwestern sector of America. Um but anyways, these men, Joe Biggs and Ethan Nordine, are known for their antics and violence. Biggs has a well-documented history of sexual and gendered violence, which includes threats against his ex to release revenge porn involving her, encouraging his followers to, quote, punch a tranny, unquote, and tweeting a lot about date rape involving uh, Roy Roypnol. I don't know what Roypnol is. Maybe it's a it's a drug. Um, Ethan Nordine, who is also known as Rufio Panman. <laughs> was praised by Proud Boys founder and the founder of Vice News 
uh, Gavin McInnes for throwing a punch at a 2018 street fight that he deemed, quote, a turning point in the Proud Boys war against Antifa, unquote. So uh, Rufio Panman Ethan Nordeen uh, was once praised by original founding member of the Proud Boys, Gavin McInnes. So that's an, some nice little tidbit there. I just want to see what Royfen, uh, yeah, Royfenol or is. I'm pretty sure it's a drug. I don't usually participate in date rape, so I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, among other names is a benzodiapine. Okay. It's a benzodiapine used to treat severe insomnia and cyst with anesthesia. All right. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure those are great tweets. So those two pled not guilty to the J6 storming, um, even though they are part of the Proud Boys organization. And they did go there with a lot of intent to stir shit up. So other miscellaneous updates. Maxwell Mike, uh, sorry, I apologize. Maxwell Wyckoff, a Michigan-based member of a militia, was arrested this past week for converting a semi-automatic weapon into a fully automatic one. He was also charged with illegal possession of a suppressor. Christian Secor, a far-right activist who apparently spent over $3,000 on purchases from tactical gear retailers recently and was initially suspected of 3d printing a ghost gun receiver was released from jail on bond while awaiting trial for his involvement in j6 a virginia militia and sheriff's office held a joint fundraiser a little over a week ago raffling off a henry rifle to raise money for both the sheriff's office and the the militia group the virginia attorney general mark r herring issued a statement last October about a gun raffle held by a political campaign indicating its illegality. Despite a request for comment, the AG has not detailed if this is permissible under state law. Even if it's permissible under state law, it is a little nerve-wracking, just a little bit, that, uh, you know, cops and local militias, which operate on a level of vigilantism, uh, are cooperating. That's a little nerve-wracking. Um, we have tech updates, and it says here, far-right groups are still using Facebook despite the platform's crackdown. These include QAnon propaganda groups, Boogaloo meme pages, or militia recruitment platforms. Avaz has identified 267 groups still on the platform, and Tech Transparency Project released a comprehensive rundown of militia use of the platform, and you can find both of these articles in this weekly update from militia.watch they do have a couple nope there's only one for the reading and it's on the gold corp stickers left at pelosi's and Schiff's offices coming from vice so if you're into a little bit more deeper dive of uh militia moving uh iconography symbolism go check out militia.watch i love these updates i kind of want to save these articles here about the facebook groups i'm gonna i'm gonna try and save them let's see open link a new tab open link a new tab okay so i will check those out later for my own personal indulgence 
to move on to the segments, I'm going to keep each one a surprise. We're going to begin now with Charlie Kirk going on Fox News. And there's nothing quite in particular that they talk about here, but we'll go over it as we do. Um, in in bigger news, the uh, George Floyd... No, I incorrectly said that. Uh, Derek Chauvin's trial is going on, and it's a fairly slow pace. Um, and I don't want to put out any thoughts out there as it seems pretty early to where exactly the case is going in itself so i'm going to hold like witnesses testimonies started two days ago so i'm just kind of uh patiently waiting while we get more developments of how the defense and prosecutions are forming their arguments um making their case but um moving beyond that big story we're gonna have to get into what the right wing is spending their time on and i think i have one segment going over the george floyd case but other than that um there's not too much uh that the right is focusing on that doesn't have to deal with immigrants so i'm trying to do my best to not overdo that because i've already done two episodes already just recently of uh the border crisis that they have dubbed biden's border crisis and i think it was recently arkansas had moved forward with a ban a transgender ban in their sports for teenagers um i'm just putting that out there because it's a very backwards law um seems to kind of send us into a little bit more bigoted stone age in the middle of the technological revolution so i just found that as a bit of interesting big news going on um let's see i thought i had another big news going on but not quite not quite but we're we're going to move on Hmm. um yeah so we're going to move on into these charlie kirk segments um i i don't think it has really anything to do with the big issues going on today but regardless charlie kirk is a uh, big mouthpiece to a lot of right-wing ears and i think it is important to see what he is working on and fox news thought the same so let's get it welcome back in february 2020 then candidate joe biden said if elected he would be the most progressive president in history one year later, he's doing everything possible to secure that legacy, including recently inviting a group of prominent historians to the White House for a two-hour deep dive into previous administrations and how the radical agenda here... I think it's very interesting here that, like, I don't remember Biden saying that he was going to be the most progressive president ever. I do remember him saying that, you know, he's he's uh, in support of incremental changes and he ran on a platform of wanting to unify the Democratic and Republican Party to get things done. So I find it very interesting to think that that's a progressive movement and not necessarily a moderate movement, which I feel most progressives are aware is what is actually going on. But, you know, I think as far back as my memory can go, which goes to uh, Barack Obama, even Barack Obama was this far left radical in the white in the White House. So that's just what we're dealing with these days. Stacks up. So far, Biden has signed a total of 37 executive orders, 32 of them during just his first month in office, surpassing even FDR during the Great Depression. Here to react. Hmm. 
Yeah, the thing is, though, is that I don't think, and I've already said this numerous times on this podcast, but I don't think that executive orders are inherently bad or necessarily indicative of a dictatorship, uh, mainly because it's the executive branch giving, uh, you know, direction, directives to its, you know, many departments. And uh, it's basically a memo to uh, the, the government saying what direction Joe Biden wants to move the country towards. It's never really anything that could be enacted in law. So I always find that very interesting um, how much against executive orders people are outright when you should be more concerned about, you know, the, the materials inside of the executive orders rather than just the executive orders being a thing. Um, so I just think that's interesting that this, this is like a, a, a talking point for them to be like, ah, oh, see, authoritarian. He's using the powers invested into him by the Constitution. What an authoritarian. It's very weird. It's weird. Political commentator Christian Walker and Charlie Kirk, the president and founder of Turning Point USA. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Thanks very much for being here. Charlie, kick us off and assess where we are with this administration. What strikes you most? Yeah, yeah, Joe Biden is governing, if you can call it that, completely inconsistent with how he ran for office in the general election. He seems more interested in how historians are going to describe his presidency 20 or 30 years from now. He wants to be known as Woodrow Wilson or FDR or LBJ, someone that... Woodrow Wilson isn't somebody I think Biden would want to be associated with. I, I think it's very funny that he used that as, as, an, as an example, only because in... Um, Woodrow Wilson's time he he called himself a progressive but still enacted like federal segregation so um he's not a progressive in the sense of what we deem progressive these days so I find it very interesting that they keep pulling up Woodrow Wilson as somebody that Joe Biden should compare himself to when like uh no and I even heard a recording of Joe Biden years ago where he said that he wanted to be a president like Abraham Lincoln so there's there's one example that Joe Biden was very forward about with his uh you know hopes of what his presidency would be looked at through the the history books which i think also too abraham lincoln is a very interesting character to um want to also replay or you know be in the light of because he had to split the country in order to bring it back together so that's an that's an interesting um that's a bit of interesting symbolism to me but um yeah i don't we're, we're assuming too much by thinking Biden wants anything to do with Woodrow Wilson. Basically changed America's trajectory in a more progressive or liberal direction. That is not what people voted for at all. He said that he would bring people together. He would be a healer and a unifier. When was the last time Joe Biden actually ever talked to a Trump voter? That's a legitimate question. <laughs> was the last time Joe Biden looked in the eyes of someone who voted for Donald Trump and understood their worldview and what they want? Usually, when is when is the last time of any president talking to a voter? It's usually on the campaign trail. That's very funny to me because, like, the thing is, too, is that I didn't think when Joe Biden was talking about unity that he was talking about the entire country. That's a job that's nearly impossible. I think he clearly meant that he was trying to reunite congress to get things done and not necessarily have to go through the same thing that obama did in his last four years in his second term which is have a stonewalling republican party where obama had to constantly keep getting compromise giving compromise after compromise after compromise in order to just get some bills passed by the republican controlled senate 
Um, and I think Joe Biden is focused more on unifying politicians than the actual country. Although with his rhetoric and the way that he actually presents his presidency is much more, um, it's not unifying, but it's, it's a lot less like uh, toxic, I guess is the best way to put it because Trump, every time he got up on stage, usually had somebody to scapegoat or blame for the problems of America, whether it's the radical left or immigrants or criminals in general. So, or or the deep state he also had a bunch of you know witch hunters against him but with biden it's never really anybody else's fault except for he does throw the trump administration under the bus when that's convenient for him as well and there are cases where you know biden throwing the trump administration under the bus for the terrible job that they did that is justified that does happen but um for the most part he doesn't go around blaming immigrants he doesn't go around blaming the radical left or even really blaming the radical right he's toned down his white supremacy talk since he won the election so um yeah uh i i that's the one thing that i think that would be more unifying to the public in a way is that bigotry isn't coming from the white house for the country. Instead, he is almost pandering to the ruling class and the professor class of Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and Stanford. He just wants. It's very weird to think that the ruling class are just the universities and the professors and teachers within the universities because it's just like it's that's anti-intellectualism while attaching them to elitism, which allows you to sound like an anti-elite, anti-intellectual. Um, but you know, again, those aren't quite the elites in this country. I would say I would, they're probably a subsection of it. You know, they have a decent amount of money. I wouldn't say they have too much political power, but, um, interesting, interesting. I didn't like, and it's also part of the, the narrative that conservatives have been doing with the anti-intellectualism and the anti-college movement is to 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 paint them as much more uh, politically powerful and influential than they actually are beyond the fact that they're just teaching students uh, history and other ideologies and other theories that may make looking at America a little bit more critical than it would be without that education. So that's very interesting, Charlie to make sure they write nice things about him a couple decades and he does not care about the direction the country goes he is on pace to be a dangerously progressive president i just i just want to mark here because noam chomsky had said that uh if you don't pull the lever for biden this was during the election noam chomsky is one of these professors intellectuals now he's usually a professor of linguistics but he also talks a lot about uh american foreign policy american politics and also um he's uh pretty he has some writings on um anarchism and some marxist theory so noam chomsky being a professor said during the election that if you don't pull the lever for biden that the uh you're you're assisting trump after the election just recently Noam Chomsky had come out and said that he looked or looking at Biden's foreign policy, it is indistinguishable from Trump's. Now, some people will say that, you know, Chomsky's a fool for even thinking that Biden would do anything at all that radically different from Trump. But what I want to highlight here is that he's consistent with 
critiquing whoever is in power. Yes, when he said pull the lever for Biden, that was him saying vote for the lesser evil. And now that the lesser evil is in office and has power, he is still holding him accountable to uh, our pretty trash forward policy. So, you know, if if if, if a, pro- a professor is at least being consistent with their critique of power, we can't say that all professors are on the side of Joe Biden just to write out a good uh, history story for him. And I'm not sure that's even how all of it would shake out. The other historian that I read pretty often, and I mention him a lot here, uh, Yuval Noah Harari, doesn't seem to be, you know, prescribed to either of the, you know, American Liberal Party or the American Conservative Party or the parties too much within his own um, country of Israel. He's He comes from a more objective uh, side of storytelling the narrative and just layering laying bare the facts and um, not trying to necessarily move with an agenda that's that's for poli sci majors most specifically um, so to just think that historians are outright working with biden because they also have left-leaning ideologies is a bad faith way to enter into this discussion and actually you know, does kind of contribute to misdirecting who's actually in power in, in this country. And the final thing I'll say is he almost wants to prove to Obama that I can do what you couldn't do when it comes to pandering to the liberal base and implementing progressive ah. policies. Ah, that's what it is. I know he's on the phone all the time with Obama, and I'm I'm hearing that he's running things from, from behind the scenes. Christian, it is... <laughs> Charlie Kirk even made a face is like I didn't I didn't even implicate that but all right let's go with that yeah yeah Obama's running things cuz they have phone calls with each other <laughs> Like that's so easy for like CNN to do the same thing and like oh he Trump's on the phone with Putin all the time well you know some might say he's running things beyond the scenes <laughs> It's a fair question, especially since Joe Biden told us he was going to have unity. Unity, unity, unity was one of his major catchphrases. Biden's more worried about appealing to the most radically left Democrats than he is illegal immigrants. He's not. He's really not. And if he was, he would have pushed harder for the $15 minimum wage, which he like easily let go of. On top of the fact of the uh, stimulus package, the progressives and Bernie Sanders, the, the, the de facto leader of the progressives, uh, was pushing $2,000 stimulus checks. And Biden said, if I'm elected or uh, if... Yeah, if or no, it wasn't if Joe Biden was elected. If the Georgian Democrats were elected, those $2,000 would roll out immediately. And then his uh, rhetoric changed after they won those seats into, well, it's going to be $1,400 because of that $600 you got from Trump, and that's going to equal $2,000. That's not a very progressive move. That's extremely moderate. That's like, yeah, that's like, uh, placating to the Republican Party in that one instance and with the $15 minimum wage in the COVID relief package bill. Obviously, not very progressive agenda going on here. And I would love to hear the actual, um, uh, you know, uh, policies or legislation that Biden has been trying to push through that is actually in the realm of progressivism because I have not seen any. So I would love for some evidence. Jumping the border, breaking into our country, and stealing jobs from low-wage workers. And what's concerning as Americans who really care about our... And there goes the immigrants underneath the bus. 
country is we don't have anyone in our corner holding this man accountable. We don't have the media who asks him the tough questions. We don't have reporters that hold him accountable like they falsely hold, held Trump accountable, how they falsely blame Trump for being a racist. They won't even ask Biden honest, fair questions. So we have to do the work. We have to make sure we're letting the administration know through using our voices that a lot of these policies he's trying to implement are. I like how he's saying it on the biggest new like conservative news uh, outlet is that they don't have anybody to hold Biden's feet to the fire. And that's why we have to do it. And they're like the, you know, the torchbearers of truth and honesty. And it's just it's it, it's obviously coming from a bad faith position because, you know, Fox News could do um, actual critical journalism if they wanted to. But they're there to perpetuate, you know, right wing narratives and propaganda to get a political agenda done. So um, this is wonderful. This is all good stuff. And it is meant for the viewer to be more informed and uh, resourceful to make better decisions in this incredibly complex political situation that we find ourselves in, isn't it? That's that's why we're all here, right? Are not okay, and most Americans are absolutely disgusted by the direction he's trying to push our country and the liberal radical agenda he's trying to usher in. Absolutely none of that was true, and I'm pretty sure 70% of Americans approved of Biden's handling of the COVID-19 process or so far of what he's done with COVID-19. So um, I'm not sure of the most Americans being disgusted with Biden's job, but in the you know specific sector of the COVID-19 response, 70% approval rating there. That's, uh, that's, that sounds like most Americans enjoying that. Christian, you just mentioned the media and you've got big tech undergoing censorship. Your reaction to how the media is enabling this radical agenda? Well, it's well, and that's pretty funny, too, because the the media is as much as an entrenched uh, institution um, as, you know, most of the government apparatuses. You know, they, they, they have their own uh, interests and they do things for the own sake of their bottom line and also to not really challenge power that much. You won't see um, things from CNN that would actually cha challenge the power structures, whether it's capitalism or uh, neoconservative, neoliberalist policies it's um it's just very very interesting to me because yeah they they you know cnn has done a pretty good job of fluff piecing biden but um at the same time they're not pushing for anything radical something radical would actually challenge power i just think that it's funny to me that every time uh, a liberal does something it's considered radical to conservatives which makes shifting the overton window what's acceptable to republicans is incredibly difficult because the most moderate of policies is too radical for them super unfortunate, especially when you bring big tech in, into the equation, because during the pandemic, when we were locked in our homes, the main form of discussion we had was online, was through big tech, was through these social media platforms. And big tech only aids the media in censoring the speech that they allow on their platforms. We can't even talk about our opinions on the country or Biden's radical agenda, whether it be transgender puberty blockers for children or funding abortions worldwide. Big tech labels it as hate speech and we're, we're unable to have free discourse of ideas and 
it's just really hard for conservatives to get their opinions out because they are they aren't in the form of reducing harm. They're like most of the narratives, such as the voter election fraud or the whole the election being stolen, and the whole um, idea of these caravans being invasions. These actually come cause harm to people. You know, the J six uh, the whole election thing led to the J six Capitol riot where people were injured and killed and really besmirched the sanctity of our democracy in a myriad of ways um, that harmed people. That narrative building that case every time and constantly talking about it from November 3rd all the way till January 6th led to a very critical, harmful situation. And so I do think that at a certain point that, you know, there has to be accountability for that, even if it's as minor as not allowing people who perpetuate these narratives to not be able to post. That's that that is such a minuscule amount of accountability for things that actually cause harm to people. So I don't feel bad for conservatives when they feel like they're being left out of social media platforms when they choose to pick up narratives that end up uh, causing harm on people. Um, so I, 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 I feel absolutely no sympathy to their censorship and their need for free speech absolutism in order to get their bigotry and hate speech and misinformation uh, out into the mass consciousness of people. I, I feel absolutely no sympathy towards that whatsoever. And it's only more dangerous moving forward as more and more young people uh, join big tech platforms and release their ideas on there. Um, you know, the Biden agenda is very against people having an open form of discussion. And so can he provide any proof to that whatsoever? Or are we just going to say that? Because like then easily during Trump's presidency, we could have said that Trump has an agenda against free speech because of the way they crack down on protesters. It's it's really easy to move the line like that when you don't have clear cut evidence of somebody trying to suppress free speech. When, you know, Biden sending in or not Biden, but Trump sending in federal agents into Portland was a pretty obvious attempt to squash free speech. So we as yeah. Americans have to hold them accountable. Charlie. I think that the big tech companies in some ways are more powerful than our own government and conservatives. Uh, see, and that's like Charlie Kirk does it twice now where he's misdirecting like all of the power in in the country into certain sectors sections of uh America that he does not like. Now, Big Tech probably does have a lot of money and a lot of political pull. I'm sure they donate to tons of politicians. I'm sure they have lobbying groups and all of that. But Big Tech is not alone in being this big industry that has a lot of influence over our government. So focusing in as them as the biggest threat to that um really, you know, just closes it, it, it in, encloses the idea of the corruption and the corporational power over our government and really makes it smaller than what it really is because we can't just focus simply on big tech having a hold on our government when it's really most big industries having a grip on our uh government and it's pretty funny we're, we're we're operating in an oligarchy but it's so subtle in its ways of being an oligarchy um that it's not quite easily discernible if you just look at the representation at congress 
and in the White House or even at your local governments. So it's it's very interesting to me because big industries have monopolized or uh, big companies within industries have monopolized a lot of the industries. And so we're really dealing with um, a small hand of corporations handling large sections of our economy. Just need to keep saying this every single day that we have a consent of the governed framework in our constitution. Nice. Which is the original uh, idea of liberalism is that there is a government who governs under the consent of the governed. That is literally the 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 essence of original liberalism in a in in the world and liberalism the the term itself has kind of morphed to the contemporary understanding of what liberalism is which is now neoliberalism is where uh individuals and uh corporations are better to make these decisions although still they need the consent of them to govern uh their to be their representation and governance so I just find it very interesting here that he says that we're moving away from the original liberal idea while he is extremely conservative and they've been moving further into an authoritarian um, realm of ideology. We do not have a consent of the governed framework with our corporations, especially corporations. They're advancing so dramatically in artificial intelligence that are monitoring all of our decisions. They are building a surveillance state and then selling us and our children and our young people again to our big corporations and their movements. It'd be one thing if these corporations were transparent and actually cared about the First Amendment, but they fund Democrat politicians and, and their agenda items, and they do not share our values. I think it's time that we focus on conservatism, not corporate. Spot on. And yet conservatives do um, work like they do work for other corporations, corporations like big pharma, the healthcare, private insurance industry, uh, the weapons manufacturers, private prisons. Um, so there's there, there there's still big money in the pockets of, of, of conservatives. I don't know why he's pretending that conservatism doesn't do anything for corporations. That's that's ridiculous. And that's what I'm saying is the problem of focusing in on big tech because big tech doesn't seem to be showing a conservative bias, regardless of the fact that Facebook has a pretty clear conservative bias. Um, it just closes in the idea of, you know, who the enemy is, and it makes it much simpler for Americans to, um, you know, a a attack and critique big tech while also leaving the rest of our economy, which is being strangled hold by monopolies and, you know, fewer and fewer hands every day. Um, and them also stifling things such as the agricultural business, not allowing climate change reforms to go through and same thing with big oil. Um, so we, we uh, overall, yes, we do need to let go of corporatism in our, in our politics, but conservatives aren't the, you know, the, they're the two sides of the same exact coin of the corporate corporatization of our government. Um, so obviously we need something better than these two parties. And it's weird every time that conservatives argue that like, oh, you don't like the Democrats anymore. Have you considered the conservative party as if they're really that different? And like on the issues that they are different are really just cultural issues that don't really tend to change the material conditions for working class and middle income people. It's, it's a uh, dumb to put it in simple terms. So moving on. Um, and to a bigger case, we got a Crowder bit. Yep. And Crowder right now is temporarily suspended from YouTube because he alleges 
that it had something to do with uh, the voter election fraud. He did not provide a screenshot or any evidence per se to uh, what what and why he was actually um, suspended. But we did get like a video of him explaining it. And he said it had to do with uh, him talking about a specific fraud case in Nevada in regards to the election. And so you're not allowed to talk about the election. And that's why he got banned. Um, but I had later found out that it was actually much, it was a tied to a much larger video where, um, Steven Crowder actually went viral for the, uh, racist things that he had said about black farmers. So I'm not really on the side of believing Crowder of saying what he had said. Um, but I just, I just wanted to throw that out there that right now Crowder is going through his third or fourth battle with YouTube and censorship. Um, so just throwing that out there before we get into this one, but this, this segment specifically gets into, did Derek Chauvin follow police protocol? ...to put the knee in. So you're talking about the knee on the neck. They're yes. trained by the police department to put the knee on the neck. It's very stupid. It's also not an asphyxiation, yeah. but we need to acknowledge the fact that they train police officers in this department to do what he did. Right. They train them to turn someone over afterward, which he did not do. But that wasn't the media outcry. The media no. was, why would you put your knee in his neck? Yeah. Because he was taught to. So your problem here is with the police training department. And I've been saying this for a long time. We had Jocko on. Oh, yeah. Police, before they go out, they should have six months of concentrated combat training, grappling training, right. sub submission training, so that they don't have to go to their tool belt, whether it's a taser, whether it's a firearm, yeah. or if you're... That's funny. Everybody, like, I think on the liberal side is, like, saying we obviously need more de-escalation training. And Crowder's like, no, they need more combative training, which is funny because he's like, they need to have better mixed martial arts skills. So like rather than needing their tools to subdue somebody, they could use their hands, you know, to to kill somebody, which it, it's just even more ridiculous to me because Eric Gardner was killed from a rear naked choke. So, um, you know, arming the police with more ways to kill that doesn't involve a taser or mace or a gun doesn't necessarily solve the problem. You're a silly beat cop in the uh, Untouchables or all of the UK, a Billy Club, right? Spin it around. I think that they shouldn't have to. So they need better training. Yeah. But here is actually we have a, a clip of um, them showing that uh, this was a training for the police officers. He didn't just do this rogue. The officers were holding Floyd in what attached MPD training materials call maximal restraint technique. The training materials include a photograph of an officer with his knee on the suspect's neck. This comes despite MPD Chief Madera Arredondo repeatedly saying after the death of George Floyd that officers are not trained to put their knee that's on the suspect's neck. That's the problem with a lie. The same training materials yeah. say the that's suspect should be turned to his side in what's called a recovery position which the body camera transcript shows Lane asked a second time. This time, Chauvin didn't answer. Right. Now, the issue there yeah. is it doesn't say how long until you roll someone over to the recovery position. Right. Either. Usually, historic, the precedent that's been set here is once someone stops struggling, once someone is yeah, no yeah. longer mm -hmm. a threat. Yeah. Now, that being... And you see that the, that the precedent being as soon as they stop moving, you, you can see where, where there might be a problem. Right. Because George Floyd did stop moving and uh, Derek Chauvin still remained on his neck. Um, there's there's at least like uh, two minutes where it's uh, pretty obvious that Derek uh, George Floyd has stopped moving. So um, the, the precedent and the standard for right now being uh, when they stop moving is actually probably a bad assumption to make. Um, and the police training needs to be more clear. And I don't think that I had, I was that mad at um, 
him being on his neck because I have seen, you know, videos and uh, instances of cops, you know, having their knee on the back or uh, even on people's heads or they're using their elbows. But the way that Derek Chauvin was on his neck for so long, as if he wasn't keeping track of time, he was barely keeping track of George Floyd's vitals or his responses. He was merely just resting on the man's neck. So um, there, it's not so much in what he did uh, as much as how he did it. Being said, as far as I, I disagree with you, and that's okay. I disagree that's with fine. you on Chauvin being an asshole because I think all the way up until this point. Let's also acknowledge too that Derek Chauvin has uh, multiple kills on his on his record as a police officer. So um, he, him being an asshole may or may not be true. He was incredibly lenient. Uh, that's why we showed it before this stream, the 20 yeah. minute arrest. There have been officers who've been shot in far oh. less unruly scenarios. Yeah, I think we have a, a shorter montage here of them trying to get him into the car. Keep in mind, George Floyd says his mom just died. She died two years ago. Well, the fascinating thing here to me is, is that um, Derek Chauvin wasn't the first cop that responded on the call. He wasn't even the cop that interacted with George Floyd before he was put into the back of a police cruiser. Derek Chauvin had showed up later on in the call, and he wasn't the first responder. He was the one who showed up later and subdued George Floyd on his neck. So, um, yeah, the leniency, was it's, it's almost a bad pun in a way that he was leaning on his neck. Mm -hmm. He's not putting his hands up when they ask. He's asking them to put the air on if they have heated seats in a sunroof, and they're saying, we're going to stay there with you. We're going to yeah. open the windows. Saying, I can't breathe. Calm Standing down. By saying, way. I can't breathe. Yeah. The second they cuff him, okay, just to be clear, again, we were told that yeah. he said, I can't breathe once he was on the ground, and the cop ignored him. No, that's the very first thing he went to to try and avoid being cuffed. Here's a montage. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get out of the street here so you don't get hit by a car. That was it. You got him? Could you please crack it for me? Please. Yes, I'm I'm stay I with will. Me, man. I will. Please stay with me, man. Thank you. I'll roll the windows down please, and put your legs in, all right? I'll the air on. Stop. Step out and face away. Okay, if I was a, please don't shoot me. Please, man. I'm not going to shoot please. you. Step out and face no. away. Now, when they did this montage, they've done it out of order of the events, so I find that very interesting. I'm gonna get out of here, man. Please don't shoot me, man. I'm not shooting you, man. <laughs> so here's the thing. Someone passed a fake bill in there. We come over here, he starts grabbing for the keys, all that stuff. Leprechaun in the hood? Starts getting weird, not showing us his hands. I don't know what's going on, so you're coming out of the car. So just hang tight right here. So this is important because right away he's saying, I'm not going, they talk about, why don't they de-escalate? I'm not going to shoot you. Yeah. Please put your hands above your, hey, I'm going to stay with you. I'll stay with you. All the sources, by the way, will be available at ladderwithcrowder.com. Yeah, the de-escalation argument with police, though, is not in question in regards to this uh, specific incident. So it's very convenient of him to bring that up now. Yeah. Including the 20-minute tape. I'm going to stay with you. I'll open the windows. Don't shoot me. I'm not going to like, shoot you. Look how obviously dumb the left is when they're always saying that the cops need better de-escalation when in this instance there was perfect de-escalation. It's like, well, that's not what they're worried in this case, but there's far other cases where cops, rather than pulling out their gun, could have de-escalated the situation. Like with... Uh, um, uh, Philando Castile's killing, like the cop escalated that so quickly and so fast, and Philando's dead. Like he the he warned him, like, "Hey, I'm gonna get my stuff from the glove box, but there's a gun in there." And immediately the cop goes from this is a normal traffic stop to like, "Holy shit, I need to be pointing my weapon at this guy who just told me he has a weapon." So the 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 de-escalation in that case is a different conversation to have than in this case. 
um, which nobody was having it in this case. No one was having that discussion in this case. Like, obviously, if uh, if the, the maximum restraint is part of police training and it ended with the death of if somebody after eight minutes and 40 seconds of using that, um, then we need to reform police training. Um, and also, again, like Derek Chauvin's actions should not be simply uh, excused um, just because he was trained to sit on people's necks. Was he also trained to... Ign- ignore how they were reacting to that because it seemed like he was supposed to roll him over at some point which he chose not to do you okay i'm not going to shoot you please comply and then he has two perfectly reasonable interactions with the other two people involved yeah so i think that yes at this point and then it gets increasingly violent the guy increasingly resists Mm -hmm. uh, resists arrest and he asks to be put on the ground yeah well and and i think and then he didn't roll him over that yeah, somebody who's like increasingly resisting arrest would ask to be put on the ground for sure. That's the That's issue the there, which, yeah. again, now we're at the point with there isn't malicious intent yeah. on the outset. This wasn't just random racial profiling. He was noncompliant. And then it, with a rule book that they're used in their training to kneel on the neck and turn them over, he didn't do the last part. OK, what's what kind of a charge should that be? Right. That's where I. Well, yeah. the. What isn't the last thing the called the, the resurrect, though? I mean, is- that, that guy got it. That guy off the side got it. Is that when you accidentally kill somebody, not necessarily intending to kill somebody, the actual lawful technical term is manslaughter. So uh, still a murder charge, Crowder. Isn't that the recovery? Recovery, recovery sorry. Resurrect. Resurrect. Very close. <laughs> like, that's that's, no, that's, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus says, yeah. yes. It's almost Easter, boy. Put your hand through my side, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. That's the recovery position. It feels like that's the most important of all the positions yeah. to put somebody in to keep them alive. Well, I don't think so. It's not called the recovery position to keep people alive. It's called the recovery position because now you've subdued the, the, the perpetrator right. or whatever it is. You've got them on their side. Now you can get them up and into the car, right? You're, you're getting them into it's not saying, oh, you're about to kill them, but you roll them over so that you don't kill them. I think I think what you're trying to say is the cashier should have just taken the 20. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I think which um, not not as funny as they're putting it out. Um, but this came out before the testimony of the cashier, which I watched earlier this morning. And the cashier um, had said that he wished that he did take the twenty dollar bill so that this would have never happened. So let that sink in for a moment. And um, also through his testimony, he revealed that he noticed it may be a counterfeit bill. He went up to his manager, and his manager informed him that he needs to go out there, get George Floyd back in there so they can discuss that, or else the $20 bill would be uh, taken from the cashier's paycheck. So the cashier does go outside. He has a conversation with the passenger. George Floyd seems to be acting like he can't believe this is going on and he doesn't want to get in trouble and he doesn't really want to deal with the situation. So he doesn't answer the cashier. The passenger side dude does. But ultimately, they decide they're not going to go into the building. So the cashier returns, tells his manager that they're not going to come inside, and then proceeds to tell his manager that he can take the $20 out of his paycheck. 
the manager says, no, you're going to go out there and you're going to get him in here and we're going to have a conversation. So he goes out there a second time and uh, with a couple more coworkers and one of them has the conversation yet again. And the conversation ends up with one of the counterfeit $20 bills being uh, uh, split in half and thrown to the ground and they're not going inside. They return inside yet again and he informs them. Uh, he, the cashier informs his manager that they're not coming in. And that's when the manager tells the other employee, another employee, not that same cashier, but another one to then call the police. So, um, yeah, a lot of this could have been avoided in, in, in a lot of, uh, parts to this, uh, situation. Um, but that doesn't mean that's going to change police tactics in the United States. And it's also not going to change the justice system who has allowed cops that have killed black and brown people to walk away scot-free. So that's what we're here to talk about. Not about whether George Floyd could have done something better. That's all, thing, of, yeah. all of the context to this matters. And I think so many no, it people form their opinions, not you, Dave, but a number of people form their opinions No, Dave, just on the learn. last five minutes of the video that we saw, kneeling yeah. on the neck and not understanding, like never having dealt with somebody who's been on drugs. I've heard story after story after story of somebody on PCP. Lane even asked, he's like, hey, do you, do you guys think he's on PCP or something? Yeah. Those guys have strength that you have no idea where it comes from. Right? Oh, they yeah. Tons of bottles. Well, I think we have an, a hunch. Well, it's a PCP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, Maybe. it makes you get naked, and it may, gives you the strength right. of 10 men. Yeah, I had a crazy. friend who was a police officer, one of my jiu-jitsu coaches, and there was a guy in PCP, and what he did was yeah. he stripped down naked, yeah. he crapped in his hand, covered himself in it, said, who yeah. wants to catch me? And he was awesome. a new uh, police officer, so they said, all right, you're up. <laughs> Go. That's you, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's you. Which actually is pretty clever. Well, they sprayed him yeah, with poopery first. Who wants yeah. to so get me? Worked. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all the, all of this, the context matters. <laughs> the context matters, but my question, so now that we've watched all of this, right, and we, we understand the context, we yeah. understand that there was training, we understand that this officer knew this man, we understand that this officer knew this man had a violent history, we understand that he was very accommodating for 20 minutes. Did it warrant the most violent, unruly, mostly peaceful riots that we've ever seen in our lives? Keep in mind, all of these riots over the course of the summer, and by the way, remember, the COVID ticker disappeared for two uh, months. For, for so let's also remember that the riot that happened in Minneapolis was because nobody arrested Derek Chauvin. It wasn't simply because George Floyd was killed. There was a lack of accountability going on, which is a larger part of the Black Lives Matter movement is that people, or especially authorities, such as police officers, killing black people, not facing accountability for doing so, that has an issue of whether or not black lives actually matter in this country. Um, so that's that's what's going on here. And I'm not really sure if Derek Chauvin was familiar with George Floyd being a violent, having a violent history. And I'm not really sure I, I have heard anything of that kind either. Um, that George Floyd has a violent history. But I did hear, um, and this could be a left-wing bias just because I didn't see the article of George Floyd having a violent history, but Derek Chauvin has a violent history. And his police records, you can you can look up for his um, excessive force. Um, I, I just want to look up whether or not he has a violent history. But the Minneapolis protest specifically that then sparked the rest of the protests around the country was not just because George Floyd died. The protests happened because George Floyd died and the cops did nothing to arrest Derek Chauvin for murdering someone in the streets. 
Um, instead, they sent a bunch of police officers to protect Derek, Derek Chauvin while he was at home and then also proceeded to tear gas and shoot rubber bullets at the protesters who were outside of the police department. Um, that then later led to a riot. So, um, yeah, it's it's a little bit more nuanced than uh, Steven Crowder is giving us here. Um, so I'm going to have to go to the New York Post because it's a right-leaning um, news article that is reporting on George Floyd here and his violent history. So we're going to check out this article real quick. It was by the police union chief that said this. The head of the Minneapolis Police Union says George Floyd's violent criminal history needs to be remembered and that the protests over his death are the work of a terrorist movement. All right. Yeah, so this is all very serious stuff to take in. Quote, what is not being told is the violent criminal history of George Floyd. The media will not air this. Uh, Floyd had landed five years behind bars in 2009 for an assault and robbery two years earlier. And before that had been convicted of charges ranging from theft with a firearm to drugs. So uh, theft, theft by a firearm may be considered a violent crime. Assault and robbery is certainly a violent crime. Um, so yeah, those things did happen. We don't have what year the theft with a firearm was, but, uh, 2009 was his assault and robbery and, um, he did it in 2007. He died in 2020. So are we going to say in 13 years that somebody is going to remain a violent criminal, especially with when he was arrested, he asked to be put on the ground. So I find that very interesting. I don't just because if you have any kind of, you know, violent charge on there, it's going to be used against you in these kind of cases in order to protect the police. Snopes has a background check investigating George Floyd's criminal record. Right-wingers don't like Snopes, but I don't care. Um, let's see. It's got the quote from the New York Post article. Um, cannot reach for... Snopes couldn't get him to respond um before his death um among the most popular claims were those by the right-wing commentator candace owens who in roughly 18 minute video that's been viewed more than six million times made several accusations that floyd's past and the events that led to his death she said, no one thinks that he should have died in his arrest, but what I find despicable to be is that everyone is pretending that this man lived a heroic lifestyle when he didn't. I I honestly did not care. Um, I didn't know anything about George Floyd. It's just the egregious act of sitting on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds and not letting up until the paramedics had arrived was a pretty gross, grotesque act. But Candace Owens continues here to say, I refuse to accept the narrative that this person is a martyr or should be lifted up in the black community. He has a rap sheet that is long, that is dangerous. He is an example of a violent criminal his entire life up until the very last moment. Wow. Uh, she claimed reporters had wrongly interpreted Floyd's death to the public. I'm just trying to see here the videos. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Let's see. So it has a meme here, and it says, The media and the left have made George Floyd into a martyr, but who was he really? 1998, uh, 10 months in prison, armed robbery. 2002, 8 months in prison for cocaine. 
2004, 10 months in prison for cocaine. 2005, 10 months in prison for cocaine. 2007, five years for armed robbery of a pregnant woman in her home. Uh, when he was killed, he was high on meth, getting ready to drive a car and possibly kill your kid. <laughs> Too bad the pregnant woman didn't have a gun. And Snopes puts this as partly false. The claims in this meme are a mixture of true and false, as we'll document below. In brief, the alleged crimes and time periods are mostly accurate, with the caveat that Floyd was convicted of theft in 1998, not armed robbery. And that that does change a bit there. That does change a little bit. Um, you know, it still could be a violent crime, but uh, armed increases it for sure to a violent crime um but the following information makes other aspects of the post misleading not all the crimes resulted in prison time but rather jail sentences no evidence suggests a woman involved in the 2007 charge was pregnant it's an exaggeration of toxicology results to claim floyd quote was high on meth when he was choked by a cop and there's no proof that floyd was getting ready to drive a car before his fatal encounter with police other than the fact that officers say they approached him as he sat in the driver's seat of the vehicle um, what follows is everything we know about crimes committed by Floyd, who was born in North Carolina, lived most of his life in Houston, and moved to Minneapolis in 2014 based on court records and police accounts to fulfill those requests. Additionally, this report explores the following. Did Floyd's past arrests and incarcerations have any effect on police officers' ac uh, actions during the 911 call that led to his death? Was he high on meth when he was choked by the Minneapolis cop and died, like the above displayed meme claims? How will Floyd's criminal record and autopsy to toxicology results play a role in the murder trials for the police officers charged in his death? Why do some people draw attention to the criminal histories of non-white people killed by police? Uh, all right, so... Yeah. So, I mean, he did ha he does have a um, criminal record, but it seems because of the right wings um, push of this without necessarily providing the court documents themselves. Um, we're getting a bit of misleading mis misinformation going on here and not the whole truth. And so honestly, like, I don't really care. Uh, if somebody goes to jail for drug possession or really if somebody goes to jail 20 years ago and is murdered by a cop, you know, 10 years from now, like it's it, it's it's more over of an indictment of police training and the police culture rather than um, the, the the people that they kill who the the right wing continually tries to indict. They even did it for Michael Brown, who was barely 18. They tried to criminalize him as much as they could so that the public wouldn't have too much sympathy for him. It happens every time. Yeah. It was all Convenient. predicated on George Floyd and Derek Chauvin. Here's, uh, here's a little reminder, in case you've forgotten. So they're, they're, they're throwing uh, random videos of protests here without the actual, like, you know, at least city and state of where they're taking place or even getting credit to where they got the videos from. So this is pretty dubious because we could be looking at, you know, and I, I'm not 100% sure here, um, but we could be looking at a Kenosha, Wisconsin protest, which was more uh, relevant to Jacob Blake than it was uh, to um, George Floyd, although it happened in the same year. And also, too, it could be Louisville, Kentucky, where Breonna Taylor was killed. So we're, you know, I don't, I don't like this bad faith reporting here by not including uh, the city, state, and credit to whose ever video this is. It's, that's bad reporting. 
Yeah, the, the car dealership being on fire, that has to be Kenosha, Wisconsin. I would I would have to guess that's Kenosha, Wisconsin. Peaceful little, uh... It's mostly peaceful. Peaceful little car lot fire. The fire outside of the federal building, I would have to say, is Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon, their protests were certainly started by the George Floyd killings, and they were there in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. But as the federal response started cracking down on them, it became much more of a anti-police demonstration and anti-federal intervention demonstration. Um, and I think that was the intent by uh, the Trump administration by sending in, uh, you know, National Guard uh, and deputized agents in there is to move the conversation away from Black Lives Matter um, and into the the whole anti-cop section of, you know, the conversation that also stemmed from the Black Lives Matter movement, which was defund the police. Um, so, again, by doing this in this way is, um, you know, fear mongering by showing a bunch of chaos and anti-government sentiment um, that uh, right wingers will feel sympathetic towards because they do not like Black Lives Matter or any of the uh, movements, demonstrations that they have put together. Oh, nice. Mm. That's a cool thing to yell. Watch. Yeah. Yeah. They save that death to the America for the end on purpose. It's pretty obvious. Um, so to move on to the last bit of what's big on the right wing sphere is Matt Gates responds to sex trafficking allegations on Tucker Carlson tonight. This is great. This is great. I am no fan of Matt Gates whatsoever, but this is this is the cream of the crop kind of stuff. And this story is going a bit viral. I think it's very funny um, because Andrew Cuomo has a uh, Democrat governor of New York. Andrew Cuomo has 10 sexual allegations against him right now. And he is doing the same exact thing that Matt Gates is doing, which is deny, 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 and request the investigators come out with information to prove his innocence. So it's, it's very interesting to see both sides of the party go through this. And we begin now. Just a couple of hours ago, late this afternoon, the New York Times ran a story saying that Florida Congressman Matt Gates is under federal investigation for playing some role in sex trafficking and potentially having a relationship with a 17-year-old girl. There are very few details in major news outlets tonight about... Yeah, the story just broke when Matt Gates went on Tucker Carlson tonight. What I do think is interesting is I had seen another article that also said that the uh, investigation is tied to another Florida and... Uh, politician in a broader investigation of human trafficking so um, that's cool also the fact that too like QAnon was a conservative movement a fringe conservative internet movement nonetheless that alleged that Democrats were the heads of pedophile rings and yet Matt Gates is having to come out and say that he has nothing to do with human trafficking in Florida where Jeffrey Epstein also lived for uh, uh, like 10-20 years or something like that in South Florida so this is good stuff that QAnon seems to be ignoring about this story, we have no background on it all and not even any very informed questions. Instead, we've invited Congressman Gates on the show to respond to these stories and give us his view of them. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Um, so this is obviously a serious allegation. Tell us what the truth is from your perspective. It is a horrible allegation and it is a lie. 
The New York Times is running a story that I have traveled with a 17-year-old woman, and that is verifiably false. People can look at my travel records and see that that is not the case. What is happening is an extortion of me and my family involving a former Department of Justice official. On March 16th, my father got a text message demanding a meeting wherein a person demanded $25 million in exchange for making horrible sex trafficking allegations. So if his dad has this text message, wouldn't it be like behoove him to present this text message um, as verifiable proof of that extortion? Because if, if it's as clear as um, against me, if it's as clear as he's about to make it out to be, then providing that text message would be one big step for his uh, move towards innocence go away yeah Our family was so troubled so by let's, that let's go we back a little 20, bit there got a text message demanding a meeting wherein a person demanded 25 million dollars in exchange for making horrible sex trafficking allegations against me go away our family so that he's saying the allegations going away i i thought it had more to do with uh saying like the investigation would go away um but still, moreover so, if it's a former member of the DOJ, Department of Justice, then, you know, that's it's an obvious act of illegality. So the easiest step to prove his innocence would to be show when he got that text message, which, you know, I think he provided the date. So that that would be one pretty big move towards, uh, you know, proving your innocence, Matt. Family was so troubled by that. We went to the local FBI. And the FBI and the Department of Justice were so concerned about this attempted extortion of a member of Congress that they asked my dad to wear a wire, which he did with the former Department of Justice official. Tonight, I am demanding that the Department of Justice... So I find it very interesting, and I'm going to get it after, after he finishes here. ...and the FBI release the audio recordings that were made under their supervision and at their direction, which will prove my innocence and that will show that these allegations aren't true. They're merely intended to try to bleed my family out of money. And this former Department of Justice... Um, so it, it, it gets, like, really muddled there, and it's pretty broad. Um, it's, it's a pretty big allegation to say that a former member of the Department of Justice said that I will make these allegations go away for $25 million. Um... The thing is, is I find it very interesting that he said that they got in touch with the local FBI and through working with the FBI and the DOJ that they had um, agreed to wire uh, Matt Gates's dad um, to, uh, to 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 record the conversation between uh, Matt Gates's father and the former Department of Justice official. Um, but the thing is, though, is that he also says that the FBI and the DOJ have the recordings. So, like, that makes sense since they were the ones that they had gotten in contact with the FBI to do that. But it's also interesting to me because this investigation itself was started by William Barr during the Trump presidency uh, under his Department of Justice. So just the, the timing of the story that he seems to be building here almost coincides that they were investigating him at the time that he was being extorted and so 
you know, there's a bit of a skeptic in me that it's not necessarily that his dad was wearing a wire, but that they were in, in interviewing him in during their investigation and recorded that for evidence sake. And so, um, you know, Matt Gates's father may not may have said some innocuous stuff that really wouldn't prove Matt Gates to be guilty and might in fact be in uh, the kind of testimony that would prove his innocence. Um, whether you know how much his dad knows about the operation or not but i just find it very interesting how he's able to turn it that way that the fbi and the doj have the wired conversation of his dad being or having a discussion with the former doj member um so it's it just the timing of it seems really weird to me it seems very weird this official tomorrow was supposed to be contacted by my father so that specific instructions could be given regarding the wiring of $4.5 million as a down payment on this bribe. I don't think it's a coincidence that tonight, somehow, the New York Times is leaking this information, smearing me and ruining the investigation that would likely result in uh, one of the former colleagues of the current DOJ being brought to justice uh, for trying to extort me and my family. So a, a couple of obvious questions that come to mind, and again, just to restate, this just happened, don't have any other information beyond what we've already said and you have said. Um, who, first of all, who is this Department of Justice former employee who's trying to extort the money from you, you say? His name is David McGee. He was a top official in the leadership in the Northern District of Florida as a prosecutor. He currently works at the Beggs and Lane Law Firm. As a matter of fact, one of the recordings that was made at the FBI and Department of Justice request occurred at that law firm, and the money that was supposed to be paid today that would have shown even more evidence of David McGee's work in this extortion scheme, that was foiled by the New York Times story, and I believe that's why this, uh, this horrible information and these terrible allegations have been used this evening. I'm trying to get to the New York Times article here so an inquiry into the florida congressman was opened in the final months of the trump administration people briefed on it said um representative matt gates republican of florida and close ally of former president donald j trump is being investigated by the justice department over whether he had a sexual relationship with a 17 year old and paid for her to travel with him according to three people briefed on the matter so, you know, I think it would be more significant if the New York Times had gotten one official's whistleblowing, one former DOJ official's. It sounds like three people leaked this to the New York Times, and um, I'm not sure if any of them were David McGee. It's not clear. Inve investigators are examining whether Matt Gates violated federal sex trafficking laws. Uh, a variety of federal statutes make it illegal to induce someone under 18 to travel over state lines to engage in sex in exchange for money or something of value the justice department regularly prosecutes such cases and offenders often receive severe sentences it was not clear how matt gates met the girl believed to be 17 at the time of encounters about two years ago that investigators are scrutinizing uh, the investigation was opened in the final months of the Trump administration under Attorney General William P. Barr. The two people said, uh, given Mr. Gates' national profile, G senior Justice Department officials in Washington, including some appointed by Trump, were notified of the investigation. 
The three people said that the examination of Mr. Gates, who is 38, is part of a broader investigation into a political ally of his, a local official in Florida named Joel Greenberg, who was indicted last summer on an array of charges, including sex trafficking of a child and financially supporting people in exchange for sex, at least one of whom was an underage girl. Mr. Greenberg, who has since resigned his post as tax collector in Seminole County, north of Orlando, visited the White House with Mr. Gates in 2019. No charges have been brought against Mr. Gates, and the extent of his criminal exposure is unclear. (sighs) Mr. Gates said in an interview that his lawyers had been in touch with the Justice Department and that they were told he was the subject, not the target, of an investigation. I only know that it has to do with women, Mr. Gates said. I have a suspicion that someone is trying to recategorize my generosity to ex-girlfriends as something more untoward. (laughs) Maybe. Um, In a second interview later Tuesday, the congressman said he had no plans to resign his house seat and denied that he had romantic relationships with minors. Quote, it is verifiably false that I have traveled with a 17-year-old woman. Unquote. Uh, representatives for the Justice Department FBI declined to comment. Um, Mr. Greenberg pleaded not guilty. Um, Oh, beautiful. Mr. Greenberg maintained ties to controversial figures who have supported Mr. Trump. An examination of court records, social media posts, and far-right websites showed. A website run by a member of the far-right group The Proud Boys and a network of fake social media accounts linked to Trump, Mr. Trump's longtime political advisor, Roger J. Stone have promoted false accusations about Mr. Greenberg's rivals, similar to rumors that prosecutors accused Mr. Greenberg of secretly trying to spread. Hey, so this is a pretty gross story, and it's only going to get worse. Um, Let me see in this Daily Beast article here, because he name-dropped David McGee, and I'm generally interested in seeing whether or not McGee is going to say anything. Um, I'm not finding anything about David McGee. Um, McGee said any reports of extortion involving him or his firm were, quote, completely, totally false, unquote. That's what David McGee told the Daily Beast late Tuesday night. Quote, this is a blatant attempt to distract from the fact that Matt Gates is apparently about to be indicted for sex trafficking underage girls, McGee had said. Before the Fox interview Tuesday night, Gates used his Twitter to call on the Justice Department to, quote, immediately release the tapes made at their direction, which indica- which implicate their former colleague in crimes against me based on false allegations, unquote. When asked how long and in what ways he had been cooperating with the feds, the MAGA congressman simply texted the Daily Beast on Tuesday night, quote, March 16th, first extortion text was sent, unquote. He did not immediately reply to follow-up messages seeking clarification. (sighs) 
The Times reported that the investigation of Gates' relationship and financial dealings stems from the indictment and prosecution of Joel Greenberg, a former Seminole County tax collector. Greenberg was such a close political ally of Gates that the congressman endorsed him for a potential congressional run in a 2017 talk radio interview. The two visited the White House together in 2019, posing for a selfie on the lawn. Which I think is pretty funny because, um, like, Trump has pictures with uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and jo- Jeffrey Epstein. So, like, obviously people who party with pedophiles, you know, might know a little bit more than they're putting on. So you're, and, and I'll get to the investigation in a sec, but, but you're saying that David McGee was motivated by greed. He was trying to extort money from your family. That's his motivation, you're saying. Uh, I know that there was a demand for money in exchange for a commitment that he could make this investigation go away along with his co-conspirators. They even claim to have specific connections inside the Biden White House. Now, I don't know if that's true. They were promising that Joe Biden would pardon me. Obviously, I don't need a pardon. I'm not seeking a pardon. I've not done any. That would be horrible if Joe Biden pardoned him. Um, But what I do find interesting is that David McGee did say that it is uh, pretty false in trying to move away from the fact that he's about to be indicted. Um, So it would be pretty easy for Matt Gates to provide the text message or for the FBI or the DOJ to come out forward and be pretty blunt about this. Like, it's pretty obvious David McGee did this, and it was easy for us to discern since it was so easy for Matt Gates to name drop like that. Um, But, you know, not 100% clear here because David McGee didn't even really uh, put forward what his relationship with uh, Matt Gates may or may not be. Um, So... Uh, the the U.S. Sun has who is David McGee and what has Matt Gates accused him of? Uh, he denied that he ever had a relationship. Oh, that's Matt Gates. Um, let's see. Gates said his family he demanded. McGee, however, told the Daily Beast the reports of extortion were completely totally false. He added, "This is a blatant attempt." Yep. He also insisted he was not part of the sex trafficking probe or the extortion plot. McGee also told the Washington Post that Gates' dad had, quote, called me and asked to talk to me, unquote, and said he would welcome a tape of their conversation being published. Interesting. He did not detail what the conversation was about, but insisted it was nothing untoward. I like how everybody keeps using that word, but simply a pleasant conversation of a dad concerned about his son. Interesting. Um... So, again, I, I would want to understand the broader aspects of why Matt Gates's dad would want to call McGee if he didn't send the text message about the extortion. Because McGee is saying the extortion is completely false. And so if that is true, why would Matt Gates's dad reach out to uh, David McGee? So, um, wow, they have like a series of who are these people? If you it, there's another one saying who is Matt Gates's father, Don Gates. Um, he's 74 years old, former Republican member of the Florida State Senate. Oh, nice, a royal family. Uh, Gates did not seek. No, no, who's Matt Gates' mother? There's one for his mother. Uh, there's one for his younger sister. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but that still doesn't really answer much as to how David McGee is, how or why David McGee is in this, unless Matt Gates's allegations are true. So that's 
This is good. This is good thorough journalism going on in this story. I feel like there's probably something deeper going on that, you know, Matt Gates is drawing attention away from. Anything improper or wrong. Although he may still have, you know, acted in misconduct. But what I am troubled by uh, is the real motivation for all of this. You know, just tonight, Ted Lieu, a Democrat, is calling on me to be removed from the House Judiciary Committee. And I believe we are in an era of our politics now, Tucker, where people are smeared to try to take them out of the conversation. I'm not the only person on screen right now who's been falsely accused of a terrible <laughs> sex act. You were accused of something that you did not do. And so you know what this feels like. You know the pain it can bring to your family. And you know how it is. <laughs> oh, my God. That is my favorite part. Him being like, hey, man, you've. You've had people come out with sexual allegations against you. You know what this is like. You know how hard this is. <laughs> like, we're just a couple of, you know, wrongfully accused sac sexual ag allegation bros, you know? We're just we're just a couple of bros, you know? And they keep coming after us, man, because we're so uh, integral in, in, in the conversation of the working class. <laughs> it just puts people on defense when you're accused of something so salacious and awful but it did not happen, it is not true. And the fact that it is the basis of this attempt to extort my family tells a lot. And if the FBI and Department of Justice will release the tapes that they are in possession of, the American people will see what is really going on. You just referred to a mentally ill viewer who- I mean, I, I truly wonder if Matt Gates is relying on the fact that the FBI and the Department of Justice will not release information of, of an ongoing investigation I'm, i i feel like he is relying on that fact knowing full well that they will not release the tapes before a trial they would they will not release evidence before a trial accuse me of a sex crime 20 years ago um and it, of course it was it was not true i never met the person um but but i <laughs> i do agree with you that being false <laughs> is one of the worst like sex uh, sexual harassment allegations or misconduct or assault all of that is just like it's something that you have to live with for the rest of your life because when somebody says hey you know what i'm going through he has to go well like oh, i was 20 years ago and i didn't even know the person and i don't even know why that's relevant there's <laughs> things that can happen and you do see it a lot let's go back to the investigation you you say that it was uh, that it was or is underway, there was an investigation. What is the basis of that investigation? What is the allegation? Is that really not very clear from these news stories? Yeah, again, I only know what I've read in the New York Times. Uh, I can say that actually you and I went to dinner uh, about two years ago. Your wife was there and I brought a friend of mine, you'll remember her, and she was actually threatened by the FBI, told that if she wouldn't cop to the fact that somehow I was involved in some pay-for-play scheme, uh, that she could face trouble. And so uh, I do believe that there are people at the Department of Justice who are trying to smear me, uh, you know, providing for... Yeah, but that's also if she was, like, slightly a part of illegal uh, activity as well, you know, to, to assume that she may or may not be a sex worker. Um, who could face uh, charges for her particip participation in that field of work. Um, so the DOJ and the FBI having something to hold over her head, as they do in a lot of criminal cases, in order to go after this suspect that they actually want to get, um, even though here, um, so far, Matt Gates isn't a target of this investigation. He's uh, merely a uh, suspect uh, in the way of 
whether or not he was involved. So they're not even sure uh, the extent of his involvement. Um, but if she had illegal activity going on that the FBI was aware of and also is a part of the same investigation, I'm sure that they would hold over a uh, pretty large jail sentence uh, in exchange for a plea deal and information. So that's not something that's, you know, too out of the ordinary but just like you know the trump era when they proceed with an investigation to republicans it's a witch hunt it's an attack of their character it's a smear of their image um but until we get further evidence proving his innocence i'm not going to assume that i'm not going to assume he's guilty either but i am going to also assume that he's not telling us everything that he knows flights uh, and hotel rooms for people that you're dating who are of legal age is not a crime uh, and I'm just troubled that the... But it is uh, illegal if they are not of uh, legal age, and that's what uh, the investigation is about, Matt. You, you know that. Lack of any sort of legitimate investigation into me would then permute, would then convert into this extortion attempt. I, I don't remember the, the woman you're speaking of or the context at all, honestly. But I, I would like to know who... So they're saying there is a 17-year-old girl who uh, you had a relationship with. Is that true? And who are they? who is this girl? What are they talking I, about, uh, the New York Times? The person doesn't exist. I have not had a relationship with a 17-year-old. That is totally false. The allegation, as I read it in the New York Times, is that I've traveled with some 17-year-old in some relationship. That is false, and records will bear that out to be false. How, how long has this investigation been going on, do you know? I, I don't know. <laughs> Which is funny because he said he only knows as much that's in the, the New York Times article. And it's said in the New York Times article. I'll, I'll go back and let you guys know. I think it was uh, June of 2020. That's very funny because he, he said that he knew everything that was in the New York Times article. And when asked that question of what was in the New York Times article, he says, I don't know. You know, actually, I didn't read the whole thing. I just saw the headline. Um, the final months of the Trump administration. So it could have been um, not June 2020. Well, maybe it could have been June. But uh, obviously, uh, before January 21st, or 27th when Biden was sworn in. So um, it could be anywhere between, I would say, December and maybe August, if I'm going to be lenient with it, just because the um, New York Times doesn't give anything specific. But uh, he could have at least said, well, it was during the Trump administration, and that would have at least given a little bit of context. <laughs> But he's obviously avoiding that on purpose. When were you first informed of it? Uh, you know, again, I, I, I really saw this as a deeply troubling challenge for my family on March 16th when people were, you know, talking about a, a minor and that there were pictures of me with child prostitutes. Uh, that's obviously false. There will be no such picture. Now, he says people were talking about this, but I thought on March 16th that he had gotten a text from David McGee. Huh. Not very consistent. Not very. Because no such thing happened. Um, but really on March 16th was when this got going from the extortion standpoint. 
So what what happens next? I mean, you, you can see there is this investigation, I guess a criminal investigation. I'm not quite sure where the sex trafficking part comes in. I don't, again, for the fifth time, I don't really understand the story very well. I Yeah, and it's very funny to me that like Tucker Carlson doesn't understand the story, but it's it's pretty clear in the New York Times article. And also that they're not, exp uh, you know, uh, talking about Greenberg at all. What was his uh, full name? It's not Joel Greenberg. It starts with a J. Um, the, the, the tax collector for Seminole County. It just says Mr. Greenberg. I'm sure it's in here somewhere. Yeah, I'm not seeing it, but it's Mr. Greenberg, Joel Greenberg. I was right. I said Joel, didn't I? Yeah, it's Joel Greenberg. Um, yeah, I like how they're not mentioning him at all. Not, not, not even the least bit. Oh. But wh where does it go from here? I mean, you're, you've made an allegation against someone by name on the air and accused him of trying to extort millions of dollars from your family. What, what happens tomorrow? Well, what was supposed to happen uh, was the transfer of this money that would have implicated the former colleague of these current DOJ officials. But that's obviously not going to happen tomorrow because the New York Times story was leaked in order to quell that investigation. But that's very weird that the actual, you know, the down payment that he was alleging that was supposed to happen that day was going to implicate David McGee rather than the specific text asking for $25 million in exchange of these allegations going away. So um, again, this isn't very consistent. It's a little loose. It's a little bit loose. It's, it's tight in the way that he's sticking to March 16th as the date that he knew it. Um, and that's because the beginning of the extortion. But um, overall, we're not staying really clear to like what it started this investigation who started this investigation his ties to mr greenberg and why he would be implicated in this case at all so it's 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 uh pretty wild wild investigative stuff investigative effort so here's what needs to happen next the fbi and the department of justice must release the tapes that are in their possession that were done at their direction those and this is the third time I, that he's said this in this segment and i am pretty sure it's because he's relying on the fact that they're not going to release evidence before a trial tapes will show that i am innocent and that the whole concept of sex charges against me was really just a way to try to bleed my family out of money and probably smear my name because i am a well-known outspoken conservative and i guess that's out of style in a lot of parts of the country right now yeah the the rebellious conservative party everyone's trying to shut down the manufactured dissidents of the republican party it's so it's it is the weirdest thing because it's it, it reminds me of like like 1984 when the character finds out that the revolutionaries that are in 1984 were actually created by the government to to, to kind of like continually weed out their populace of dissidents so it's very funny to me every time that a conservative acts like they're anti-establishment as if the conservative party has had nothing to do with the 200 past years of the establishment so that's just cool they've been passing power in between democrats and republicans for over 160 years so let's let's get let's get past this conservative rebellious party that doesn't exist Matt Gates, I appreciate your coming on tonight. So Thanks for giving me the chance more, to tell more, the truth, more, I appreciate it. A, a, it's a more interesting and complicated story than, than I knew from reading about. Thank you very much.
Except he didn't really like he he didn't go into this to find out more details. He just wanted Matt Gates's defense, not even his side of the story, but his defense. Because if we were gonna get his side of the story, we would get more clear implications of his uh, relationship with Joel Greenberg, who is the true focus of this investigation. So, uh, Tucker Carlson, I give you a D minus. It was entertaining content, but it was lacking in nutritional value. So you get a D minus on that one. But that is going to be it for today. That has been Tox News, your only source to the secret of the ooze. Find me on uh, Twitter at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. Find this on YouTube if that's what you're into and uh, continue listening to this on your favorite podcast platforming stream and check out Anchor, which is what I use to upload this for free so I can spread my own thought propaganda. Uh, And yeah, thanks again for joining me. It's been a, a wonderful time and not toxic at all. And we learned a lot, didn't we? We learned so so much there was just so much to learn i can't even go over the just immense amount of information we learned peace out